0: So over the past three weeks, we've talked about, uh, again, some of those foundational truths for parenting. Uh, number one, what's the most important factor in parenting? And and we remind ourselves of this every week, that as we go to God's word, we see that the most important factor in parenting is for the parent to have a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. That's the, mo- that's the most important thing. Remember, a, a personal and sincere faith doesn't mean that you're a perfect parent. It doesn't mean that you're a perfect grandparent. It just means that as we struggle with this, this task and this responsibility of raising kids, that we rely on a perfect Savior. It means that your faith is genuine. It's not counterfeit. We rely on a perfect Savior. And we've, we've also talked about what it looks like to parent the heart of our children and not just their behavior. You know, I talked about how for Faith and I, we get sidetracked all the time because we see the behavior of our kids on the outside, and it's like a, a siren going off or an alarm. You know, you hear the siren. Uh, maybe it's uh, the fire alarm in the building. It's annoying at first, right? And when we see the behavior of our children's, especially wrong behavior, sometimes it's just annoying, and we want to do whatever we can to turn it off quickly. Um, but as parents, we're called to parent the heart of our kids and not just the behavior. Um, so it's important that we understand that, that our child's needs always grows deeper than the behavior that we see. And as parents, we have to help find the need or needs uh, behind the attitude, behind the behavior that we see. And then finally, how we discipline our children um, should result in discipleship. That root word of, of, of discipleship or of discipline is, is disciple. And You know we know this as parents as grandparents, especially if you 've been through this and you're on the other side of it now. We know that discipline is never fun it's never fun but when we begin to understand that discipline was meant to be a good thing according to god 's word, discipline was meant to be a helpful thing um, then and then we see in our culture that our culture teaches that discipline is is a negative thing, but when we trust god's word, we see that Discipline was supposed to be discipleship. And we start to see how our kids honor and love their parents. And And the Bible tells us that when we discipline for discipleship, that they'll have a season of right living. And that's incredibly encouraging, how the Scripture teaches that. So last week was part one of, of what we're going to conclude today, of a, of, of a two-part message. And we took a closer look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about some important parenting principles And the parenting principles that we're talking about really are just relationship principles. So if you're here today and you don't have kids of your own or your kids are out of the house and you're wondering, how does this apply to me? Um, Well, it applies for everybody because remember, everybody has kids in their lives in some form or fashion. Um, But what we're talking about today and and last week, they're really relationship principles and individually, um, they're individual characteristics of God. So because they're relationship principles, we can apply them to any relationship that we have in our life. Um, but again, for the sake of this series, we're talking about application for our kids and for our grandkids. Now, I've, I've gone ahead and filled in the first two blanks on your bulletin. So if you look at the back of your bulletin notes, um, you'll see the first two blanks filled in, and that's from last week. Um, so if you're here today and you didn't hear last week's message, again, you can go back and listen to that. But those are the first two points uh, from last week. And then today, we're, we're going to wrap up the, the parenting series. By talking about these last two parenting principles. Um, again, I want to say this isn't an all-inclusive list of, of parenting principles, but it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Remember, as parents, as we as we see wrong behavior in our home or as grandparents, and maybe you're here today and you just feel like your family is a mess. You know, sometimes it's it's hard to decide what do I focus on first, and you want to do everything. You know, that's the way when we try to clean our house. It's like, okay, there's so many things to do, I don't know what to do, and it's hard to start. Well, just start with one area of parenting, and that's really what these parenting principles are about. Um, It's picking one of those characteristics of God and praying about it, and then relying on God to help you apply that in your life. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 17, and then uh, we'll have the verses on the screen. Again, we read this last week, um, but I want to reread it this morning, and then we'll see uh, how it connects the dots. So, starting in verse 17, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate, uh, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. But that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus.'" You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when I read that, I I think about an old pair of clothes that's just worn out, it's dirty, you decide it's time for it to go, so you, you throw it away, all right, You don't go back to the trash to get the old pair of clothes out. So when we put on our new selves, it's like that brand new pair of clothes. It's a change. You don't go back for the old things. So verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then here was the first parenting principle from last week. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So we talked about quenching anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold in your relationships. We talked about how uh, being slow to anger is a characteristic of God, and he wants that for his people as well. And then the second parenting principle is found right here in verse 28. Um, Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And, And this is all about working to give, not just live. As followers of Christ, we're called to be generous because Christ was first generous in our lives. He's the greatest example of what generosity is. We're called to be generous with our money. We're called to be generous with our time, with our talents, um, resources, everything. We're called to be a generous people, and that was part of the DNA of the early church. And that's part of what we're called to be as well. So then we pick up in verse 29, and this gets into the parenting principles for today and what we're going to talk about. So do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. And notice what it says here, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We'll talk about that a little bit today, but chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 really sum up everything that we've just read. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, to God. So we talked about last week how Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 is so important if, if we're to understand what comes before it. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, just verse 1 specifically says, Follow God's example. And remember, last week we said a more accurate translation for that would be, uh, be uh, to imitate God, be imitators of God. Uh, remember, part of having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. And living the life that God has called us to live means that we rely on a perfect Savior. No parent is perfect. No grandparent is perfect. If, if that was the goal in life, was to strive to be this perfect parent, we would fail. Every time there was only one perfect person, and that was Jesus. No parent is perfect. No child is perfect. But with God's help, we live as imitators of God as we apply his truths to our lives. And to be imitators of God means that we rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we follow the example of Jesus. That's what that means. So as we apply these parenting principles to our lives, we're following the example of Jesus because these are characteristics of God. So the third parenting principle that we're going to talk about today, if you're taking notes, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and it's this, um, affirm more than correct affirm more than correct Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen as I thought about this point this week I I realized especially for us this is one of the hardest parenting principles for many parents today It's one of the hardest parenting principles for many grandparents today but remember, as we pray about these things and we rely on God to help us apply them to our, our lives, he can help us uh, be the parents that he's called us to be. So in Ephesians 4.29, the Apostle Paul reminds us that what we say, the words that come out of our mouths to our kids carry a lot of weight. What we say to our coworkers to our neighbors, to our, our spouse, to our grandparents, to our friends. What we say carries so much weight. And how we choose to speak to our kids or any other relationship ends up being the fuel that will either help them forward or hold them back. That's so important. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. We'll throw this on the screen. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So I would say this this morning. If you love to talk, if you're a talker, you just talk all the time, uh, what you say, there will be consequences for that, good or or bad, positive or negative. If you don't like to talk a lot, what you say, there are consequences, right? There are positive uh, consequences. There are negative consequences, It's through our words that we can help our kids fully understand the potential and purpose that God has for them. Or we can speak in a way that gives them a false view of God and a false view of self. That's so important. I love the quote that says, What we say to our kids can help determine their destiny. What we say to our kids can help determine their destiny. I've seen this truth played out so many times over the past 10 years of ministry. Many of you know I was a, I was a youth pastor and a family minister before this. And as a, form, a former youth pastor, I've known so many students who've come through our youth groups whose parents never affirmed their worth, never affirmed their talent, never affirmed their identity. So for them, coming to youth group and building healthy relationships with other adults and healthy relationships with other kids, it was the highlight of their week. Because they knew when they went home, the only words they were going to hear was correction and criticism. A, a, a story, I won't tell you her name, we'll, we'll call her, we'll call her Tony. <laughs> it's a girl name sometimes. We'll call her Tony. Tony went, was in our youth group and started in eighth grade. She had a gift for leading worship. I mean, it was so apparent. So as a youth minister, that was one of my favorite things to see. I would just, I could stand it and observe how God was, was building some of these teenagers. And I could see some of them, they were just called to ministry. They had a, a gift and, and a, a talent. It was so amazing. She would help with our youth worship team. She, I, 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 to this day, I believe that she was called to lead worship. But she would go home and she would have parents that would tell her she wasn't going to make enough money. That the family were all doctors and lawyers that that wasn't what she was supposed to do. She would go home and all she would hear was correction and criticism instead of life affirmation words, pointing out the the talents and the gifts that God had given her. And she didn't pursue worship ministry. There was an opportunity missed there, I believe. I believe that joy in our lives largely comes from using the gifts that God has given us to serve him. And that God in turn receives the glory for that. I've seen so many stories. I mean, I, I, could, I could probably just give a message or a, a talk on student after student who was so gifted by God and, and their parents shut it down. They didn't affirm who they were created to be as individuals. Their self-worth was never affirmed in the home. And I'm not saying that you should never point out, you know, when your kids mess up or when they do something wrong. I'm not saying that. It's, it's actually the opposite of that. And I don't think that every kid who participates in something deserves a trophy, right? That's kind of the culture that we live in today. I I, I don't agree with that. But when we point out what our kids are doing wrong in life, let's also point out what they're doing right. You know, when correcting and criticizing becomes the norm in our homes, we start to demoralize our kids as individuals. We can actually cause our kids to lose confidence in who they are and lose hope in, in how God has created them with a specific plan and purpose in mind. As parents, we, our, our words carry so much weight. And as grandparents, our words carry so much weight, more than we will ever know. And it's also important that af- affirmation towards our kids doesn't just follow a great performance. You know, in, in sports, in school, in extracurricular activities, that, that's kind of the norm in our culture, that we affirm people when there is success, right? We affirm a job well done. I believe that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should affirm our children based on who they are, not just what they do. You know, God has made every single one of our kids so special and so unique. I know it's hard sometimes. We have a smaller room here and and I you know I get onto my kids sometimes for running around in the auditorium and man, but think about if we didn't have any kids running around in the auditorium. That's such a blessing. To see that, to to know that there is life, there's young life in this church and young life in this community that we're called to, to affirm and not just correct all the time. Let's affirm who they are. You know, God's word teaches us that we are his most prized creation. Your Bible teaches that and that he loves us and that he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I would say this without hesitation, that every person here today, whether you believe this about yourself or not, every single person here today, is created by God with a purpose and for a purpose. God has a purpose for your life, and, and how we talk to each other, and not just our kids, but how we talk to each other, uh, as we give that affirmation, basically, we're just agreeing, we're giving an amen, we're saying yes to how God has has made you to use your gifts and abilities in the church, in your life, in your community. As we do that, we see how God uses people and we we affirm that plan and purpose. What we say to our kids has the power to hurt or help. So I would challenge us today, you know, let's help them grow into the young people that God has called them to be. Let's start focusing in our homes on affirming more than correcting. Should there be correcting? Absolutely. That's part of our our role and part of our call as parents. But let's let's not just focus on the correcting and criticizing. Let's focus on the affirmation. And not just when they do something great, not when they succeed. Let's affirm who they are as individuals. Affirm more than correct. So the fourth and final parenting principle that we're going to talk about today, um, it'll be up on the screen, is two words. And that is forgive unconditionally. Forgive unconditionally. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as um, all types of evil behavior. So we could talk about all of those things today. Instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know this is this is one characteristic of God that does not come naturally for people, right? I think we could all agree on that. We'd rather hold on to a grudge than talk about it and we end up carrying that with us for seasons and for years. We'd rather run from conflict than resolve it. And sadly in the church today, that seems to be like the breeding ground for conflict for Christians. You know, sometimes people dread going to church on Sunday morning because there's going to be conflict. So we end up running from it instead of talking about it, resolving it. And then we'd rather bring up old hurts than forgive. You know, living with unforgiveness in our lives is like living with a terminally ill disease that just eats away at you from the inside out. And I've found over the years that the longer you hold on to something that someone else has done to you or what you perceive that they did to you, the longer you hold on to that unforgiveness, the more it hurts and the more it causes us to rely on self rather than God for he- for healing. I- I've also learned over the years that choosing not to forgive another person doesn't hurt that person. It only hurts you. As you hold on to that, maybe you think that you're you know, one-upping the person, or maybe you think you've had the last word, but that's not the case. You're the one that ends up suffering for that. It affects the other person zero. Recent studies have even shown, and maybe the doctors in the room can confirm this in their small groups and things like that, but recent studies have shown that people who have bitterness and unforgiveness in their lives for long periods of time can actually make them become physically ill because of it. So living with unforgiveness can literally make you sick. As Christians, we're called to forgive because God first forgave us in Christ. We read Romans 5 um, more at length in the past couple weeks, but I want to I touch on just three verses this morning. Romans 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. And I don't know if you write in your Bible or not. I think it's okay to do that. Um, if you don't, that's fine. But if you do write in your Bible, underline some words as we go through here. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So according to God's word, when we were powerless, ungodly sinners— that's when Christ died for us. And I would say that every single person in this room has been that at some point in your life. Someone had to intentionally come and rescue us. And it was while we were still sinners that, that Christ died for us. You know, God sent his son to die for us, not because we were good enough or deserving a, uh, enough, but because he loves us. Because he loves us. And if you're here today and you're in Christ, you've, you have that personal and sincere faith in Jesus. God loved you before you made that decision to believe. I don't know if you knew that or not. God loved you before you made that decision. If you don't have a personal and sincere faith in Jesus today, God loves you and wants nothing more than for you to believe today and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. This is only possible because of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's only possible because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We've talked about in this series how, how faith is caught as well as taught. We should teach these truths to our kids, but we should also allow them to see us live them out in our own lives. Your faith is, is caught in your life by the people around you, by kids, but, it, but it's also taught. We should teach those things, but also live them out. And forgive unconditionally when your kids mess up. Start there. You know, some of you have kids that are grown and out of the house, and there's probably still some, some unforgiveness and some bitterness and things lingering. Today's the day to put it to rest. Today's the day to put it at the feet of Jesus and allow him to do what only he can do. Amen? Let's forgive unconditionally. If you're a parent here and you messed up this morning before coming to church, ask your kids for forgiveness. And tell them exactly what you did. You know, it's okay that our kids see that we mess up and mess up often. We're not perfect parents. Nobody is. That's part of being human. It's part of being a parent. What's important is that we teach them and we show them how we've been forgiven in Christ and how we're called to forgive others because of the forgiveness that we've received. As a parent, that's one of the hardest things we've talked about is getting yourself on your kid's level when you messed up and saying, this is what I did wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? There's love in that. There's power in that. There's forgiveness in that. When it comes to forgiving unconditionally and teaching forgiveness to our kids, there have been a few scenarios that, I I use the word perfect, have been a perfect training ground. I would rather it not happen. (laughs) But when they mess up, there's been a couple of scenarios that have been just opportune moments, training ground for our kids. And one scenario is when our boys are fighting with each other five times a day. All right. They're fighting over the, their toys, their, you know, the TV show that they want to watch, food that the other one has. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I've found over the years, and I think my wife agrees with me on this, that these have been important uh, opportunities um, to teach and show our kids what reconciliation looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what grace um, extended looks like. It's important for our kids to learn about reconciliation and how to work through their issues, even at a young age. You know, as parents, if we're consistent in how we reinforce the importance of forgiveness, our kids will see forgiveness as an important and vital aspect of relationships. I want to say that again because I think that's so important. As parents, as grandparents, if we're consistent in how we reinforce the importance of forgiveness, if they see that in our lives, if we teach it in our homes, our kids will see forgiveness as an important and vital aspect of relationships. Think about what's common and what's important to you in relationships and what we model in the home. If we model forgiveness and put that at the forefront of what's important, our, our kids will begin to see that as they build relationships with friends and you know maybe someone gets hurt on the playground or someone takes their toy or someone calls them a bad name or whatever it is. When they begin to see forgiveness modeled in our own lives as parents and how we live that out it will be at the forefront of what's important in relationships, and then I think that, I think reconciliation follows that. That's one of the greatest truths I've ever heard about relationships, no matter what it is, that we should persevere in relationships, that we should have reconciliation in relationships. I was talking to someone this morning, and I said, you know, the church is the the one organization that really shouldn't be able to function the way that it does. It shouldn't be able to succeed other than the unity that we have in Christ. Because if you think about it, we come into this building, we gather as the church every week, and we all like different types of music. <laughs> we all uh, maybe read from a different translation of the Bible. We parent differently. We value different things. We've, we've come from different backgrounds, but somehow, united under the name of Jesus, it works. And it probably shouldn't outside of that. You know how we instruct our kids to forgive um, there, there's one thing that's worked well for us, and I'll share this this morning. If if one of our kids, you know, hits their brother, and, and we see that or or we're told about that, um, we, we get the two together. This is a very intentional um, type of parenting, I guess. You get the two together, and the person who wronged the other one, the person who hit the other brother, is asked to specifically say what they did wrong, uh, to apologize, and then to ask for forgiveness from the thing that they did. So, you know, one of my oldest sons' name is Micaiah. He got hit in the head yesterday with a, a, a toy airplane. <laughs> so Phillips walks up to Micaiah and says, Micaiah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, on his three-year-old level. Um, Will you forgive me? And the other person is required to say, yes, I forgive you. There's an exchange that happens. There's, there's healing that happens. It's also important that we teach our kids that forgiveness is not about being right all the time. And sometimes I feel like we need this lesson more than our kids do. Forgiveness is not about being right all the time. You know, we leave church sometimes or we leave family gatherings, whatever, and we just, we want to be right so bad. We want to have the last laugh. We want to have the last word, the final word. You know, that's pride inside of us. That's that's everything opposite of what, what God wants in our lives. Forgiveness is about the relationship being made right. It's not about being right all the time. If we can demonstrate that the issue is not the issue— but that the issue is the relationship, then our kids will grow to understand the importance of persevering in relationships, and they'll learn to forgive and serve the people around them in the way that God demonstrates in our lives. You know, if we can teach our kids about the unconditional forgiveness that's available in Christ, we can help them learn how to extend forgiveness towards other people. I have a final thought that really wraps up this whole series, and unconditional forgiveness maybe more specifically And I think it's best told through a a short story that's uh, two or three sentences long. I think many of us can relate to this. So a Sunday school teacher had just finished her lesson about forgiveness, and she wanted to make sure that she had made her point. She wanted to make sure that the point was really driven home, that the young ears had heard what she said that day. So she said, she just surveyed the room. She said, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain or receive forgiveness? She wanted them to think about this, you know, long and hard, and and for someone to give an answer. So there was a pause over the whole room, and a little voice from the back of the room raised his hand. It was a small boy. He was thinking about her question, what must you do to obtain or receive forgiveness? And he replied with one word, sin. (laughs) That's not wrong. (laughs) It's not what she was looking for. Church, God wants every parent to have a personal and sincere faith in Jesus, and that sincere faith is meant to be real, not not counterfeit, not not create perfect parents either. We're going to mess up. We're going to mess up a lot, and there's going to be eyes on you. People are going to see that, and that's okay. But we rely on a perfect Savior. The important thing is that we continually rely on God in our lives as we parent and raise our kids in the Lord. It's kind of like laying the new carpet squares in the sanctuary. I don't know if you noticed this, but these are individual squares that were laid. And uh, that is the exact opposite of what I want to do with my life, by the way. <laughs> I, I, was, I would stand at the door back here, and it was, it was maybe a little more difficult this week to study um, with all the noise. But I walked in here, and man, the guy that was laying the squares was just like salt of the earth kind of guy. He was just so nice and excited, genuinely excited for the finished product. But he started with one square, and he started to add to it. And add to it, and add to it. And, and, and over time, you saw it build and grow and, and then turn into what you see today this, this finished product. And God's word tells us that God's not done with any person, He's not done with you. You're still laying the squares of, of parenting. Remember, we've talked about how you never stop being a parent. You never lose that influence. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, a 30-year-old man, and I'm out of my house, and I have my, a wife and my own family, but uh, my mom and dad, they're still my mom and dad. You know, they're still a vital role that they play in my life. And as we seek to parent our kids in the Lord, to raise them the way that God's called us to in Scripture, it's like laying these carpet squares. It's one after another. And sometimes I'd look in, and it would be crooked, and he'd he mess it up, and he'd have to relay it. And that's okay. Sometimes you have to backtrack a little bit but it's so important as we build the foundation in our lives towards the finished product. You know, we rely on God, and at the end, he says he'll he'll finish it towards completion. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm I'm ready for that. I'm tired of messing up all the time, but it's part of life. It is. Well, again, church, this isn't an all-inclusive list of parenting principles or relationship principles, but as we go to God's word and we see... um, part of God's character, part of his nature, what was important to the early church, we can apply those truths to our lives. We can learn to quench anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If, if your thoughts were in the form of bubbles this morning over your head and we looked across the room, there's probably some angry people here today. That's just the truth. And I don't know what it is that you're angry about, but pray about it. Rely on God to help you quench anger quickly. Because being slow to anger is part of one of God's uh, characteristics. It's part of who he is. It's important for the church to quench anger quickly. Work to give and not just live. I remember a turning point in our marriage and in our lives where we were working uh, for things. And we had a shift that God was doing in our lives where now we were working and, and focusing on how God could use us through our work and through generosity. Work to give, not just live. Teach generosity to your kids, but also demonstrate it in your own life, remembering that God is is the greatest example of generosity. Let's affirm more than we correct, and and if you would hear one thing about that again today, affirm their uniqueness, not just their successes. Certainly do that as well, and correct when correction is needed, but affirm your kids for who they are. It might not be what you want them to be, and that's okay. Okay? You know, Scripture teaches us that if we train or or raise a child in the way that he should go, that when he or she is older, he won't depart from it. We think that if we bring them to church, then they won't turn from their faith. But that Scripture means that we should raise them according to their bent, the way God has made them. We should recognize that individuality in our kids, and we should affirm that and allow them to just be let go, let loose for God to use in whatever way that he pleases there's so much joy that comes from using our gifts for the Lord. And finally, forgive unconditionally. I would say this, that sometimes to forgive, you need that support in your life. And one of the things we do at the end of our service every week is we give an opportunity to respond. And maybe you're here today and you've, you've already accepted Christ in your life and, and there's not much that you need to do today other than be prayed for. We've got two elders here today. Plus myself and we've got uh, some, some deacons and some other spiritual leaders in our church that would love to just meet you where you're at and just pray for you. If you're struggling with unforgiveness today, we want to pray for you. That's prayer is where we start. And we rely on God to help us do that in our lives. So if you're here today and you're really struggling with just forgiving, maybe there's something in your lives, allow us to pray for you today. Quench anger quickly. Work to give, not just live. Affirm our kids more than correct and criticize and forgive unconditionally.